Welcome to the King of Glory Lutheran Church Education Podcast. We are a Christian community of faith located in Williamsburg, Virginia. For more information, please visit us on the web at kogva.org. As we reveal the third woman, all right, in our series. Now, the quiz today first is who did you study last week? Abigail. Abigail. Abigail Beecher, the history teacher. No. Remember that one? No. I do. Okay. Abigail Beecher, the history teacher. You don't remember that? See, I'm much younger than all of you. Believe that and I'll tell you one more. Uh, so today, being Mother's Day, we welcome our online people and those of you that are here. And we pray God will lead us and guide us as we uh, move through this uh, study on on the day. So let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, on this very special day, we give you thanks and praise for Mary, the mother of our Lord. But we also thank and praise you for all mothers, uh, for all those who are like mothers to so many of us. Guide us and direct us in our discussion this day that uh, we might all come to know the precious gift that we have in the child of Bethlehem through the one chosen of this world to bring that child into life. Be with us, guide us, and direct us. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. So, today I thought that um, we would do something just a little bit different. And uh, we are pleased that uh, Mary has come to visit with us. Uh, she's a young woman, very young. Very young. Very young. Who is having a birthday tomorrow. Tomorrow. Right. Day one. And, and all great children are born on the 13th of May. <laughs> Happy yes. birthday to you then. Too. No, it's not me. <laughs> My youngest son. Oh. So, so uh, just a couple introductory things. In, in the uh, festivals and commemorations of the Lutheran Church, uh, which has been in, in practice for many, many years, the 15th of August is the day that's set aside in our church calendar as the... Uh, festival and commemoration of Mary, the mother of our Lord. Um, There's only 11 places in the entire scripture where Mary is named. And those are all outlined for you here on on those little bullet points that are there. 11 incidents in Mary's life that are recorded in the Gospels and Acts. Um, And there's no mention in the rest of the the New Testament, beyond that. Right? Um, very little is known about the rest of her life. I mean, there's a lot of traditions, there's a lot of thoughts, there's a lot of things that, you know, that uh, she spent her life in Jerusalem, uh, but some say she was with John in Ephesus, and that's a tradition that, that uh, I guess was, was put into our heads a lot in our, my education. Uh, the beloved disciple, the author of the Gospel of John, and all that, and the only one of the disciples who did not uh, actually uh, die a, a violent death. So that's kind of an interesting thing. The keeper of the mother of Jesus is, is the one who had a peaceful death. Uh, parents were identified as Joachim and Anna in the second century and, and the, what the thing on the, on the sheet is, the pronoun evangelium of J, James is a, a record, all right, from the second century, all right? So, uh, again, this is a lot of tradition, all right? Uh, as I say with all of these things, when we get to heaven, we're just going to go, oh, that's how it all works. We're not going to have all the answers this side of that, and that's okay. Uh, but perhaps the most tender thing about her was uh, she was a model of, of bold and tender love. Right? 
when you think about it, and uh, we're going to hear a little bit about this from Mary herself. When you think about it, uh, imagine being that one person. And you're being told by an angel what you're going to do. What's going to happen in your life. I don't, you know, you women who gave birth to children <coughs> or, or care for children, how important was that? Pretty important, right? Even us dads look at it as pretty important. But you're told by a visitation from an angel that you are going to bear the Savior of the world. Right? And, and at, at a ripe old age of perhaps 13, 14, 15, we're not quite sure. Think of, ladies, think of you as that age. Right? Think you would have been ready for that? <laughs> no. Not even at that time, probably. And yet, this was the way, the way God played this out for us. All right? And, and we accept that. Uh, that's a faith issue for us. And I think we have to understand so often in the scriptures, if we try to, to, to make it face with the 21st century or in the 20th century, it's not, it's a, it was a, such a different world. And it was God in action. That's the other part of it that we have to understand. Um, um, the next bullet point... Uh, by the 6th century, August 15th became that feast day known as the Feast of the Dormition or the falling asleep, the passing of this life of the Virgin Mary. All right, so it, again, a tradition that was accepted. All right. By the 9th century, August 15th became the Feast of the Assumption. All right, the receiving of Mary's body and soul into heaven in anticipation of the general resurrection of the body of all the dead on the last day. Now, these are all creations of the church, right? We have to understand that. There's nothing scripturally that says all of this, but Mary had this uh, high place. Then, in 1950, some of us remember that. Probably most of us in this room remember 1950. Not a lot about it, all right? But some of you more than others. I just finished reading a book yesterday, 733 pages on the 1950s. Oh. A fellow by the name of David Halberstam, a historian, and, and if you ever wondered how we got to where we are today, go back and read that. Right? So many parallels. Unbelievable parallels. Uh, but in 1950, Pope Pius XII proclaimed the teaching of the Assumption was elevated to the status of dogma in the Roman Catholic Church. When you think about that, that's the highest status. And uh, Lutherans reacted to that, Protestants reacted to that, by uh, coining a phrase called Mariolatry. I didn't put that on here. But it was the idea that they had raised Mary to a god, almost. And we're saying, not God, the mother of God in the flesh. All right? So, uh, but what did also happen, if you think back to those days... Uh, for a few minutes. Um, you know what became very popular? People included Mary in naming their daughters. Right? Mary Jean, Mary Frances, or, you know, Mary was the middle name so often. It, it became such a powerful name because of that decree of the Roman Church that uh, you look back, you'll see, I, I think... I was trying to think back to my, my grade school classes, and I can think of at least four Marys that were in my little class. Right? I was a mid-year kid. We had this weird thing in Milwaukee. I would have graduated from high school in January. But I went to the Concordia and all this kind of stuff, so I did a second half of ninth grade. It's probably good. Right? But, but there were so many Marys, either in their first name or their middle name. That's as a result of this, because that was to honor God, when you think about that. Uh, less in the Lutheran Church, but, but, but a lot. My one uh, niece is married. Uh, so, 
that being taken, uh, she represents the finest ideals of womanhood of her day. Right? And those are the list of things that, that we can think about, her spiritual sensitivity, her purity, her obedience to the divine will, her careful attention to the religious instruction of her son, loyalty to him even if she didn't fully understand him, which she didn't. Can you imagine? Right? You know, those little stories, Mom, you know? Uh, well, yeah. And yet, she's such so important, right? As the one chosen, the one chosen by God to do this. And she was faithful to the last and beyond. Like many mothers, right? Some aren't, but many are, right? Uh, on this Mother's Day, right, we, we elevate mothers. We should elevate them every, every day is a Mother's Day, right? Or motherly figures. I, I used to say to people, man, when I went to my first call, which was in a huge church, we worshipped about 800 people, I think I had 700 mothers there, plus the woman I lived with who was a mother too. But the reality is that, that motherly instinct that was there, all right? Uh, she, as uh, God-bearer, is seen as a representation of the church. And, and she is, all right? She bore that child. She carried that child. She guided that child. And that was her role. That's what she had been chosen by God to do. So what I thought we would do today is because... Uh, we have Mary with us. Uh, we're going to have three little vignettes that Mary is going to lead us through today. Uh, they're part of the 11, but we, 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 we realized when I talked to Mary, who's very wise, just a guy, but Mary said, we can't do them all. So I'd like you to welcome Mary to our presence. I'm a young teenager. My parents are Jehoiakim and Anna. They are quite elderly. I've heard that my family has priestly connections, and it's been told to me that the Roman Emperor Justinian built a basilica at Constantinople to honor my mother. And while this may be interesting to some, to me, I feel like a normal teenage girl. I have my responsibilities at our home, I learn about Yahweh and what he's done for my people. I'm engaged to a wonderful man, quite a bit older than me, named Joseph. He's a carpenter, which is good and steady work. He's really good at what he does. I'm looking forward to starting our life together. Like I said, a normal teenage girl. That is, until the other day when my whole life changed. I've never been filled with so many emotions all at the same time. I've never been so happy and yet so scared. What if I forget to do something that the angel told me? I won't. I won't forget. Do you think you'd forget a visit from an angel? No, and, and I won't either. But it was so very unexpected. There I was, all alone in the garden, when all of a sudden a great light appeared before me. I didn't know whether to run or to hide or to stay and watch. It really didn't matter, though, because I couldn't have run if I wanted to. I was so scared. But then the angel called me by name. He had the gentlest voice I've ever heard. Mary, he said, do not be afraid. He told me the most amazing things. He said that I was to bear a child. When I told him I was not married yet, he told me that it's okay and not to worry about it, that this was going to be a very special child. This baby was to be God's son. Did you hear that? God's son. He told me that his name would be Jesus and that he would be the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Then the angel said not to be concerned, that God would be with me, and then he was just gone. I had so many more questions that I needed to ask. So many more details to work out. Like, what would I tell Joseph? Joseph, I really am thankful to God that 
He gave me Joseph to become my husband. He is such a good man. But to find out that his wife-to-be will be the mother of God's son, well, I wasn't sure even a good man like Joseph could handle that. But I should have known. It was just like the angel promised that God always handles the details. You see, an angel appeared to Joseph, too. He explained everything, and now Joseph couldn't be happier. I don't know what it will be like raising the Son of God. If raising him is anything like it has been so far, I'm sure we can't possibly plan for everything. But I do know that God will take care of us. He's already shown us that. Even if this baby is to be the Savior of the world, he'll still need his mother. With God's help, I will be the best mother I can be for him. joyous occasion of a family wedding, but as you know, these events can be exhausting on those of us who have to work the wedding. The most interesting thing happened. I didn't really know what I was asking when I asked it, but I got to see my son do the most amazing thing. When Jesus and his disciples showed up, I knew we were close to running out of wine. What I didn't know is that Jesus had already noticed it. I went to him and told him, They have no wine. And he said to me, O woman, what have you to do with me? My hour is not yet come. Now, as a mother, I know that sounds harsh, but in my native language, it's actually much nicer. His answer was not rude, but perfectly respectful, and then can even be seen as tender. I'm sure I'll hear him call me woman again at some point in the future. I understood at once that Jesus would do what might be needed. So I turned to the servants and told them, do whatever he tells you to do. Mind you, I didn't really know what Jesus was going to tell them to do. And as I said before, I didn't really know what I was asking. Jesus looked around and saw these large water pots, which supplied water for both washing up and toilet facilities. And he said to the servants, fill the jars with water. Now draw some out and take it to the steward of the feast. Normally, I might be nervous about what the steward would say, because they're super picky, with good reason. But I knew that whatever Jesus had done was going to be perfect. The servants were a little confused, but they did what he instructed them to do. When the water reached the tables, it had become wine. The bride's family was saved from disgrace. And I would say that my trust in Jesus was bolstered and even justified. Do you know that Jesus provided 150 gallons of wine? That was amazing. Although this was a wedding to be remembered, I have a feeling. A feeling that it symbolizes so much more. If my son is really who the angel Gabriel said he is, then looking back on this event, I wonder if Jesus is the Messiah full of abundant life and joy for all? I wonder if he is the messianic bridegroom. I'm not so sure, but I know that he performed a miracle, and I can't wait to see what he does next. Why don't we pause here? I wonder if some of these wonderful folks have some questions for Mary. (laughs) What do you think? What's your response to what you've heard? I think Mary was amazed and, and still confused about what was going on. Can we identify with that? <laughs> no, because I've never seen an angel. Okay. Yeah, I, I just, to me, you know, this angel coming just right by, I don't think it happened that often. Even back then, angels yeah. didn't appear to people, you know. And so I've always thought, her response was so, um, it would have been unnatural for me. I'd have been scared, just like she was. But I think I would have really been scared and not listened or hovered or something. But she she listened and she said, okay. You know, and I, that's so um, out of my realm. Although that's the way it's been recorded. 
Think about that. This is the way it's recorded. Right? And, and do we always record things exactly the way they especially happen? Uh, probably not, right? And centuries down the line. Uh, it's always an interesting question, too, uh, in, in biblical studies with the process of what that we call canonization of how we got the Bible that we have. If you ever look at a Greek text for the New Testament or a Hebrew text for the Old Testament, at the bottom of all the pages, there's, there's usually a, a whole bunch of things that they call the, the critical apparatus, which means there are many different texts that they found. Ever hear the Dead Sea Scrolls, things like that? Well, those were some of the scrolls that they found. And so in the process of putting together what we call the canon, where these stories are included, these accounts are included, there were many and varying ones. So they took all the variant texts, and then they did, tried to determine what, what is the most accurate of them all. all right? so, plus, we're, we're, we're getting uh, what I usually call as lightning flashes of all this. It's little quick things. Because you know, we went from from uh, the infant infancy, we, we jumped thirty years, yeah. roughly, to the wedding at Canaan, right? So we, we got to understand there's there's some theological interpreting of of the texts already, which is fine. I mean that's that's why we have the different texts that that we have. Uh, but it's also interesting, you know, if there's only eleven accounts. You heard two small, two small accounts, all right? And, and they come from the birth and then from this wedding at Cana. Yeah, Jim. The, the amount of faith that Mary had is just amazing because I don't know how you'd say it in Greek or Hebrew, but I think the human reaction would be something <laughs> like, you've got to be kidding me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What? Yeah, what? <laughs> you want me to What? <laughs> You, yeah. Wait, I always used to. Say, I, I wonder what Mary said to her mother. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, that'd be. Anna, awesome. Mom, you're not going to believe this. Yeah. yeah. I mean, those of you with daughters, I didn't have any, so I don't know what that's like. Your daughter comes home. She's young. She says, "Mom, I'm pregnant by the Holy Spirit." Yeah. <laughs> What, how would that have worked? It didn't work like that. <laughs> yeah. 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 What's his name? Yeah. Yeah. What's his name? What were you doing? See, but this was all a, a part of God's plan. And see, here again, I think that's where we have to understand. We have to receive this in faith. Because if we put it in the terms simply of the world, what, what's going to happen? It's not going to all make sense. This, in a sense, the whole process of our salvation doesn't make a lot of sense. You know, you look at a little baby. That's a little baby, all right? That's a little baby, all right? Wrapped up in that child of Bethlehem that she held close to her, knowing that God had visited her and then says, and he's going to be a sacrifice. We can't hardly begin to imagine the power of that. And yet she was a faithful woman. You were so faithful. Right? But right? scared. Scared, yeah. Because yeah. it's, it's the divine human thing. There's the, the divinity of what you're doing in, in bearing this child, and the humanity of what you're doing and carrying and then watching this child. And, and we see a little bit of that in the second vignette there, at Canaan. The mother saying, can't you do something? Think about that. She knew who he was. We got a problem. You know. Fix it. Fix yeah, the problem. <laughs> Fix the problem. Did he? He did. Yeah. But not because she said so, but because that's what Jesus did. Because he came to fix our problem. 
right? What, what's our problem? Sin. Sin, yeah. That's our problem. How, how are we doing with our sins? How you done this past week, eh? Yeah. And, and you, you think about that. Think about the traditions of the church, too, when, when you went to confession. Where did you brought up the Catholic Church? No, so you, you don't know this thing. My mom was Catholic, all right? And, and rarely did she talk about this, but she did occasionally say going to the confessional was not a good thing. Right? Because you had to you had bear yourself to this priest who you couldn't see, and he couldn't see you, but he pretty much knew who was coming, all right? And you had to lay it all out. So Mary, you know, she had all of this. And what, how many times does it say, and I don't know the number, but many times she took all these things and pondered them in her heart. She must have been a very special young woman. Well, you can see, she is a special young woman. But so, so at Cana, you know, did Jesus have the wine thing covered? Yeah. Mary was worried that, you know, how would this look? And you, you understand weddings at that time, too, right? They weren't a one-day occasion. You know, they were weeks long, and they kept moving from place to place. That's how that worked. Think you would want to pay for those if you have daughters? <laughs> Probably not, all right? But, yeah, so, it, I mean, we got to understand there's, there's this human aspect of it, but it's the divine. It's the divine that worked in this young woman. It's the divine that had all of us in mind. Is that, over, is that overwhelming at times? How could he know all of us? I have, I've often thought about, you know, and I accept by faith that, you know, it was an immaculate conception and the whole thing. And so, but, but in raising him from the time, you know, even from birth to 12, when we went to the temple, um, I, I'd often wondered, does she treat him differently? Like saying, I don't know if I can spank him or not, because this is God's son, and if I do punish him, is God going to punish me? And so, I, you know, as a, as a new mother, you don't know what you're doing, but as, you know, the mother of God's son, you really don't know what you're doing. So what did you do, Mary? Well, Jesus, he was never bad. He was without sin. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So he wasn't, he wasn't, you know, we have to believe that. All right. Now, the other question that the scriptures don't answer uh, with any degree of integrity, but we're going to ask Mary. You ready? Do you have other children, you and Joseph? Yes. Uh, how many? Few. <laughs> See, the scriptures don't specifically say, but they do refer to Mary's other children. Right. All right. So here again, but that's really, biblically speaking, that's what we call adiaphora. It, it doesn't. It doesn't affect this child. It doesn't affect this act of God's grace and mercy in our lives, right? Which is sometimes hard for us on this side of eternity to just accept those things. What do we call faith? In Hebrews it says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It isn't always with what we see, all right, what we believe, right? Uh, there was there was a, a one takeoff in history that I'm aware of, and I'm sure there were many more, of this whole co- concept of the Immaculate Conception. And it was Franco Harris, the Immaculate Reception. All right? Seriously, that's what they called it. When this thing bounced off of a couple people, he caught the ball and ran for a touchdown to win a game. Everybody said, that was like the Immaculate Conception, but it's the Immaculate Reception. He caught the ball, right? I mean, how ridiculous that is, in a sense, but if you think about it, hey, this is not your ordinary woman. This is not an ordinary thing. This is God in action. Why? Because we needed it. You and I needed it. 
I don't know if I don't know if we Mary maybe maybe know more about this than I do. I don't know if we really believe sometimes. Remember the, 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 the confession that we used to make? I, a poor, miserable sinner. I wonder how many of us really thought that's what we were. I'm a sinner, but I'm not poor and miserable. I'm a pretty good guy, right? Or I would never do those kinds of things. Except, in God's eyes, what's, what's true? Sin is sin. And we all fall short of the glory of God. Not one of us can stand before Him. So, it'd be interesting when we get to heaven to find out exactly what this was all about. So, any other quick questions before Mary continues to tell her story? Barb, did you have Barb, did you have I'm, I'm just going to ask you if you've ever had any other visits acted by an angel. I mean, I know the spirit was always with you, but did another, an angel come again? Not, not after that. So, I knew it had to be either this was true and it was going to go forward or um, it was not true and I was in a whole world of trouble. I did go and visit my cousin Elizabeth because it's one thing to tell your parents, it's another thing to try to convince the rest of your town that that's not, you know, it's not what they think. So um, somewhat for my own protection, I went to stay with my cousin Elizabeth, who was also, who was also pregnant at the time. Um, to spend time with her, but also, you know, and then I found out that um, her husband had been, you know, visited as well. So it kind of gave me extra confirmation. So what happened to Elizabeth when you visited her? So the craziest thing happened. I walked in, and when I called out my greeting, she said that her, so my nephew, her baby leaped inside her belly. I mean, like, Jesus kicks, but, like, leaping, that would be, a sign, right? Yeah. So yeah. that that um, and they named him John, and that he leaked inside her of her belly. So we thought that there had to be some connection there. Mm -hmm. so. And his role then was what to prepare the way for Jesus. Yeah, interesting. So there. And call was not it to call people to repent? To repentance, yes. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. It is interesting. Yeah. A relative. Yes, a relative. <laughs> Very interesting. Hmm. Thank you, Mary. Yeah. Appreciate that. No problem. I watched every moment. It's the hardest thing any mother could have to do. But if, through his swollen, blackened eyes, he looked down from the cross, darkened by the shadow of awful crucifixion, I wanted to make sure he saw the face of one person, at least one person who loved him. And he did. I almost broke down. His eyes met mine. The eyes that looked up at me from that hay-filled manger. The eyes that rimmed with tears as I cleaned his skinned elbow. The eyes that read the scrolls in the synagogue. The eyes that looked over Jerusalem and wept. The eyes that saw every need, every wound, every hurt, every sinful soul, and refused to look away. I knew long ago he was meant for a purpose. When you're visited by an angel, you start to understand that the baby that you're going to have might be something more. Like when the shepherds came to kneel at his makeshift cradle, a mother suspects that her baby's life will not be an ordinary one. When wise men bring gifts worth more than a carpenter's salary an entire year, a mother should know that Yahweh has a plan bigger than she can wrap her mind around. When a mother finds her 12-year-old explaining the law and the prophets to the greatest teachers in Jerusalem, she can be fairly certain that there is something different in store for this boy. When your son looks into your face and says he's about to be about his father's business, and something in your heart tells you that he doesn't mean carpentry, your heart skips a beat with the realization that this road is not going to be an easy one. When your son transforms plain water into wine, the 
finest wine, when he restores sight and heals the lame and even raises the dead, you know that this proves the divine intention of his birth. These are the moments I've treasured in my heart. But a mother will worry, won't she? And I have. The more attention he drew to himself, the more the authorities threatened and whispered, the more I found myself wishing he would just come back to the carpenter shop and make a simple living. He's quite good at carpentry, you know. From the time Joseph taught him the skills, he worked hard to master them. I love to watch him work. Pounding, sawing, sanding, tables, chairs, bowls, ladles. And then, when each one matched the plan that was sketched out on the parchment, he would wipe away the dust and step back, spread his arms real wide and smile, and he'd say three simple words. Three words that were a declaration of completion. I heard those words again today. And the mother knows, I knew, that they meant much the same thing, though infinitely magnified. No furniture, no housewares this time. But still, there was a plan, sketched out and in place since before my son was formed in my womb. And I suspect for much longer. Today on that cross, his arms spread, I almost was positive that I saw on that bruised and wounded and blood-covered face, beyond belief, a slight smile. And I knew before he said them the words that came next. It is finished. But a mother knows things. It is finished, yes, without a doubt. But it isn't over. So what was finished? Our salvation. Mm -hmm. What he had been sent to do, plan the plan. Right? The master designer had a master plan for his creation. And we were a part of that. That's the that's the other beauty of it, right? that his plan includes us. His plan is why we have hope in a world, right? And isn't it amazing how God could choose this special young woman to be a vehicle through which the plan was not just thought of, but the plan was lived out. Now imagine, Mary, could you say a little bit more on what it was like to watch your son on the cross? Well, I'd done everything to protect him his whole life. And so to see him up there and not be able to protect him was the most difficult thing. But I also kept thinking back to the very first time I found out I was having him. And it's hard to go against Yahweh's plan, but it was hard to also realize that this was Yahweh's plan. Yeah. What a plan it was, right? I kind of wished and hoped there was a different way. But I think that's normal. I think any mom, I mean, I knew God had a plan, but <laughs> but it, it seemed unbelievable that this was happening. But then I thought back to all the people who have gone before me, and God has asked them to do difficult things, but they have done it with his help. So... So, would you say you're any different, Mary, than Peter? Or David in, in the Old Testament? Or Adam and Eve? Or 
think the only thing that makes me different is the blessing of getting to be Jesus' mom. I think I'm different because, not from them, but I think I'm different in that God actually chose me like he chose them. I mean, we are his chosen, you know, we are his people, but that God asked me to fulfill some of those roles, like David, and, you know, of course we all know Peter, and he's a good friend to our family still, and he's doing a lot of work in Jesus' name. It's amazing to me to be among those people. What about you? I was thinking of the faith that Joseph had. And we were talking today about, Pastor said to listen after the prayer. Obviously, Joseph listened because what he was told was, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And, you know, in today's world, yeah, yeah. Right. If you believe that, I'll tell you another one. Uh, yeah. So who's the father? Oh, the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Sure. Would that work? <laughs> I mean, my wife, if you would have said to your mother, I'm pregnant by the Holy Spirit, how well would that have gone over with my dearly beloved, sainted, loving law? Not at all. Not at all. <laughs> no. no. Nor any of you who are mothers, right? We're thinking this. But, but the reality for us is... And I think that's the beauty of this young woman. God chose one among us to be the vehicle through which, the means through which, he made all things good, all things new for all of us. I have a question here. Um, were, were you treated differently because um, of the believers that knew you were the mother of this Jesus, the Son of God, the, the great I Am. How were you treated? I mean, uh, were you vilified? Were you, um, yeah, how were you treated? Um, by, by our friends very well. Um, by our, by the people who persecuted Jesus, I, I don't really rate. I'm, I'm a woman. So they don't really, that's why I was allowed near the cross. Um, they, they didn't allow a lot of men near the cross, but they thought that there's nothing that they could do to, to me or I could do to affect any change of Jesus being on there. So, um, so I, I wasn't really seen by them. But by the, you know, the church as it is now, um, they have always treated me with respect and, and love. When do you think Jesus knew what his destiny was going to be? As a child growing up, did he know that? That this was what was going to happen with it? Or was he an adult when this revelation came to him that uh, they're going to come and get you and, and uh, you're going to die on the cross? I'll let you answer that first. I don't know when he knew, but he knew. I don't know when he knew. Sure. I'm reading a very interesting book now called um, The Cross Can Do What Politics Never Can. And one of the comments that uh, was made in there was, have you ever, has it ever dawned on you that nothing in all of eternity has ever dawned on God? <laughs> he knew it all before it happened. And he knew the end before the beginning. That's pretty amazing. Well, yeah, because we, we proclaim that God is omniscient, knowing all. All right? And the scriptures teach us that Jesus, only Jesus in the flesh came later, but he was present at the very beginning. Because God is one. It just manifests himself through... The, the earthly birth of Jesus and through the Holy Spirit as well as God the Father, the creator of all. These are all faith issues, folks. You know, uh, if you think, what, what do we say in the creed? Yeah, like the apostles are Nicene Creed, they're neatly 
three sections, right? We, in the Lutheran traditions, we call it first article, second article, third article. All right? And each Luther, in his catechism, has meanings for each of them. All right? <coughs> Which the, the most significant, in, in a sense, for me, is the third article of the Creed. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Why, why would that be so significant? Because it is the Spirit that works faith in our lives. Anybody remember Luther's explanation to the third article of the Apostles' Creed? You've got to go back to your confirmation days, folks. Oh, you don't even memorize that I stuff anymore. I don't have a confirmation. There was no confirmation. Not, not in your age. No. No. He says, I believe that I cannot, by my own reason or strength, believe in Jesus Christ, my Lord, come to him. But he's called me by the gospel, enlightened me with his gifts, sanctified, which means to make holy, and kept me in the one true faith, even as he calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies the whole Christian church on earth. And Luther didn't say the whole Lutheran church on earth, by the way. He said the whole Christian church. And we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We have this denominational stuff, which is a, a result of what? Sin. Sin. Right? All right? Uh, and and as, as all the seminarians and the senior college guys used to say, we are falling into sin. Whee! Yeah. <laughs> all right? You know, that's, that's a problem we all have, right? And, and that's why even when you think about Mary was without sin in that sense. So she led this protracted, protected life, all right? Now, I don't know what that was like. I don't, know. You, I don't even know I if don't you would know what that's like. I don't know. And then we, we got the source yeah. here. But, but, uh, but, but, but the reality is, you know, we, we do not worship Mary, right? As a Catholic Church. Yeah, and, and, and even that, if, if you get down to the nitty-gritty with some priests, they'll say, no, we don't really, we honor her. Okay. They venerate her. They don't, they don't yeah. worship her. Yeah. 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 There are people that do. All right? Coming from a Catholic faith, faith tradition, I would say no. Yeah. This Depends on where you were in the Catholic yeah. Church. Where were you? Where did you grow up? I didn't grow up with it. I came to it as, as okay. a adult later yeah. on. Yeah. Yeah, living in the in the in the dead center of Catholic Catholicism in New York. Because coming from a coming from a Baptist background, I, was, well, I wanted to make sure that, that that was something that they weren't saying. So yeah, they're yeah. very clear to tell me no. Yeah, yeah, it's an interesting it's an interesting study with them, right? And that's why I believe the church needs to be engaging one another. By the way, that's why those dialogues have to be open. You know, there is only one. We we say it in our creeds, right? One holy, and we shouldn't be afraid to say Catholic, meaning universal. One holy Catholic and apostolic church. All right, that's there's one church. We just have branded ourselves different things. All right, and then then each denomination takes it a little step further too. By the way, we think we have things called synods and all that kind of stuff. All right, which how is that helpful? We got to be working together. Now, everybody's doing... Uh, by the way, we're, we are repeating in this age what they've repeated in other ages, which was taught us in the scriptures, and everyone was doing what is right in their own eyes. Right? You know, I'm going to do it my way. You know, the, the, the Sinatra syndrome. Right? I'm going to do it my way. Uh, that reminded me of a story of this guy that arrived at the pearly gates and met St. Peter... St. Peter said, well, I'll give you a little orientation because things are a little different up here. <laughs> First room they went to, there were people in there raising their hands and shouting and singing. And new guy said, what's that? He said, well, those are the holy rollers. That's the way they do it. He went to the next room and people were working with their beads and he said, what's that? He said, well, that's the Roman Catholics and that's rosary. He said, no, St. Peter says, you've got to be really quiet in this next room because these are all Missouri Senate Lutherans. They think they're the only ones up here. <laughs> <laughs> I heard that. Yeah. Well, and, and some believe that, too. <laughs> I don't. I don't. Any other questions? So maybe you got a little sense of Mary. What I would suggest is you read 
all these vignettes. You know, we only did a few of them. Uh, because each one of them is interesting, all right? Uh, the Ascension with the Apostles in the Upper Room, all right? Uh, uh, flight into Egypt. Think about that, taking your, your baby and heading to Egypt. Wow. Right. Uh, imagine Jesus as a 12-year-old <laughs> staying back in Jerusalem. If you had a 12-year-old son and you left him in D.C., all right, when you were going back to Podunk Junction, Iowa, you would have been worried, right? I would have been, all right? You ever leave your child behind? My parents left me in a gas station on Route 66 in Illinois when I was about five years old and six years old. I think it was on purpose. <laughs> but all of a sudden they were you going down the, there. Yeah, going down the road and 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 somebody said, Where's Chip? Oh, oh they left him in the gas station. <laughs> How long were you Probably only 15, 20 minutes. I mean, they weren't far down the road. I don't remember all of the things that happened. I just remember being told, Mom and Dad left you at the gas station. Well, much... now, I, we tell my young brother a lot of stories, too. Yes. <laughs> he, he was, I was the youngest, and he was 13 years younger than me, and he decided he was adopted. So we, you know, tell him he was left in a basket at the, at the front porch, and, yeah. you know, we took So you and I have something in common. <laughs> yeah. I know Andrew's by a long, by a long shot. I'm, like ten, I'm 10 years younger than my youngest sister. Yeah, well, I was... The older one. Oh, you're, oh, we had nothing in common. <laughs> <laughs> but the youngest of, of the three, we, there were three, and then there was one. Yeah. yeah. Three and one. Three and so one. Yeah. God That's what my mother always there. said. How many children do you have? She's uh, three and one. Because <laughs> <laughs> he was 13 years younger than yeah. me, and I was the youngest. You know, I keep my much older brothers and sisters going. <laughs> I call them all. I'm the one who calls. They don't call me. I call them. Right. Just like the youngest, always have to have all the spotlight. Yes. <laughs> I love them. They're all nice. No, sort of. Any last questions? I hope you have a little bit more of an insight into Mary. All right. Uh, a, a true woman of God. Thank you, Mary, for taking the long trip from heaven. You're welcome. Right. Yeah, no problem. To be among us. She has that power. Let's close with prayer. Gracious Lord, as you guided Mary on her journey, we pray that you will guide us through your Spirit's indwelling power. That we too, as Mary, will love the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, love one another as you have first loved us. As we are going on our journey into the world now, O oh Lord, may we reflect that love of Jesus into that world. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Tara. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the King of Glory Church Education Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God and His people, grow in faith and love, and live through service and sharing. Visit us on the web at kogva.org.